Dr. Rice Brooks, who's a personal friend of mine, wrote a book called God's Not Dead. Then there was a movie made out of that. Um, not, I wasn't quite as excited about the movie as I was the book, but, but the book was amazing, and it was a strong apologetic for Christianity and faith. But Rice always had this saying that he said, and it was one of those things that we had two sayings he said. The first one was is that you're getting worked over like a rib bone on the 4th of July. That was one of his sayings. And he's from Tennessee. And the other saying was, was that we need to understand the value of multiple anchors in our lives. Let me say it again because it's really important and it's critical and it's something that I've adopted as a personal, uh, just a, one of those life lesson moments. We need to never underestimate the value of multiple acres in our lives. And where those anchors come from, obviously throughout the journey of our life and our journey of faith, it comes from various places. It comes from the people that you meet along the way. It could be a teacher, a coach, it could be a friend, it could be somebody else's parent, it could be your own. But the main place that that comes from is from family. We're talking about this idea here that the family matters. The family matters. Every beautiful, dysfunctional matter, family matters. Amen? We call it brutal. We live a brutal life. That means it's brutal and beautiful at the same time. Family matters. Multiple anchors are critical in our lives. I had the privilege, and I know not everybody gets this, but I had the privilege of growing up in a home where my grandparents lived next door. Now, some would say that's not a blessing, but actually for me and for my brother, it was a massive blessing. I mean, I could go over there and get, uh, I mean, I could get brownies and cookies and chicken fried steak. And I mean, anytime I wanted, not only did she contribute to my deteriorating health, but she also was an amazing matriarch of our family. And it's interesting that over the years, it's amazing how many children have left home, grandchildren have gone on, but have ended up moving back in with granny because she has been that place, that safe place. And we've been very blessed. I grew up in Lubbock, and she lived next door to us, her and my, my granddad. So it was Granny and Papa. And then um, when we moved to Post out in the country, lived between Post and Tahoka, Texas, up on the Caprock, we moved there. They, we got them a, a trailer, and we moved it onto our land. And so, they, again, they were right with us. So I had the privilege, the blessing of having my grandparents close. The grandparents on my dad's side, that's Nanny and Papa. They were always lived in Lubbock and grew up there. And we spent weekends going to their house as kids growing up, hanging out. And their investment in our lives the fabric of who we are, my cousins, my brother, myself, all of us, we owe to the anchors that God put in our life through family. And I'm so grateful, and I don't know if you had this or not, but I was so blessed to have a praying nanny. My nanny, my grandmother on my dad's side was a praying woman. I believe she prayed us all into the kingdom, quite frankly. And I'm so grateful for her investment and her, the heritage that I had from her. But not only do we have impact from our family of origin, but we also have impact from our spiritual family. Because along the line and along the road of your walk of faith, even if it started here, this is your spiritual family, may have started in another place, 
But all along the road, God has put people in our lives. Now, I didn't become a Christian until I was 19 years of age. And so when I went into church, I was already 19 and on the edge of adulthood. And here I was looking for mothers and fathers, spiritually speaking. I was looking for people that would help me along the way. People that would take me under their wing and mentor me, coach me, father me, mother me, grandmother me, grandfather me. And you know what I found in that in that church in environment, I found family. I found spiritual family. And I can go from story to story to story and recount these multiple anchors in my own life where I remember sitting down and this person taking the time to pour into me. Whether it was for a long period or a short, God brought people along, these anchors in my life that impacted me. And to this day, I remember the words of wisdom and life that they poured into me. Spiritual family, your own natural family. God has brought family together because the family matters, both spiritually and naturally. So today we're talking about this, and and I love this title. It's kind of cliche, and I even have a t-shirt that says this, but it says this, we're better together. We are better together. I don't know about you, but I'll just say this about Jimmy Pruitt. If I am left to myself, I'm dangerous. Can anybody else relate? Am I the only human here? I need multiple anchors in my life. I need Miss Charlene shaking her finger in my face and jerking the slack out of my chain every chance she gets because she's a mother to me, a grandmother to me, a a matriarch in the faith that that I look up to, and I'm so grateful for your investment in my life. I didn't mean to do that. I'm thankful for spiritual family that comes around us and holds us up when we're down. Now, there's a couple of oddballs in here that might kick you when you're down, but that's not the intent. But, you know, isn't that like family? And the interesting thing about family, we're better together even when it's not perfect because families are not perfect. They're just present. They just show up. Thanksgiving, Easter, funerals, weddings, they just show up. Not perfect, but present. And God, we have to understand something. God doesn't always give us family for comfort or for encouragement. Sometimes he gives us family to train us and to teach us and to work us and to knock those edges off. And sometimes like sandpaper to smooth out the rough spots in our own lives. Does that make sense? But aren't you thankful for family? as messed up as we can be. It's complicated, right? It's complicated. And it's never been more complicated than it is today. I want to share something with you as we continue this idea that we're better together. Do families matter? This is from Tommy Hayes. He, he's a lead minister at Rafa God Ministries. Some of you have said under Tommy, he's a wonderful man. He says this, do families matter? It seems like the whole concept, the values, even the definition of family is forever being challenged. Why is that? From a spiritual perspective, it often seems that the greater attack, that the greater attack reveals the greater significance of what's being attacked. You wonder why the family is under such attack? Do you wonder why your own family sometimes feels like you're under siege? It's because the enemy recognizes the potential that if we ever get a hold of this principle that we're better together, that he's done. He's done. 
And so he attacks. The greater the attempts to redefine something point to the greater value of its true identity. Isn't that the truth? Episode one, this is our first week where we did It's Complicated. And I've heard that some of you, that y'all have taken that up in your own home. And whenever anything comes up around the house, it's just, uh, it's just complicated. It's complicated. It's, it's ours too. And here's the second thing. We talked about this last week where Jesus' own family was thrown into turmoil when the 12-year-old Jesus, not the 30-year-old, the 12-year-old Jesus hung back in Jerusalem while the entire family traveled 20 miles away and did not realize they had lost the Son of God. And for three days, he was lost. And it came down to this, that love wins the day. When it comes to family, love wins the day. When it comes to life, love wins the day. That was episode two, and now we're talking today about we're better together. I want to give you some some statistics. Some of you love this stuff. Some of you will wake up when we're done. So I love statistics. I'm nerdy that way. But listen to this, the changing family landscape. In 1960, 37% of households included a married couple raising their own children. So think of uh, June and Ward Cleaver. More than a half century later, just 16% of households look like that. The family landscape is changing. And let me say this with the utmost love and compassion. We need to wake up to what's changing. We need to wake up because if we're going to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to understand what not only what we're up against, but what they're up against, what they're dealing with, so that we can come in with love and a message of hope in the midst of chaos. That's our call. The median age at first marriage is now 29 for men and 27 for women. Annette was married when she was 16. That was not that uncommon. The highest in modern history right now that we've ever seen. In 2013, more than one in four, 26% of people ages 18 to 32 were married. But in 1960, well over half, 65% of Americans were. The family landscape is changing. Mothers are also waiting longer to have children. In 1960, women ages 15 to 24 accounted for 40% of mothers with infants. By 2011, that number had dropped to 22%. That's half. The family landscape is changing. American women, on average, will have two kids, 1.9. How does that happen, right? Two kids, Two children, statistically speaking, compared with a total fertility rate of 3.7, four children in 1960. That's half. Current levels are below the replacement rate of about 2.1 children, the number of births needed for children to replace their parents in the population. We're shrinking as a human race right now because we're having less children and not actually replenishing those who are passing on. Europe is way ahead of us on that, and we've seen the long impact, the long-term impact of that. Not only is the impact on the familial level, like in the natural, but it is also an impact on the spiritual level of the church and the health of the church. There's reasons behind that, but I won't go into it right now. The family landscape is changing today. Families are more blended and differently constructed. You have to understand, I didn't wake up one day and decided that I would be in a blended family. I didn't wake up one day and decide my parents were going to go through a divorce when I was in high school. I didn't wake up one day and decide I was going to go through a divorce at 30 years of age. 
None of that was planned. None of it was thought through. Life happened, and it happened to me. And when it did, I had to adjust, and I had to say, how does faith, how is faith relevant to me now that this has happened? I found out I had a Where's Waldo moment. You are here. And when I found out I was here, I now had to engage my faith on a whole different level, on a level I never dreamed I would have to engage. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. The family landscape is changing and we have to wake up. We can't afford to isolate ourselves and still believe that June and Ward Cleaver are the model for today because they're not. That is not realistic. 16% are less, and that number is diminishing, which means we better engage bravely. We've got to enter into the arena and not be afraid to talk about real issues where people really live. Because the question is this, is your faith, the faith that you know right now as a follower of Jesus, does it have power and impact? Is it relevant for today? Will it speak into the lives of broken families and broken people. Not you calling them to be the perfect model of who you think they should be, but does real faith work in the real world? That's the real question. And I believe it does. In fact, my own life and my own family is a testimony to that. Next week, we're going to have all of my family up here on the stage. We're going to have my son, who's a pastor in Houston, my daughter, who runs a bank up in Nashville, and my youngest, 18, who runs our family and church here, basically. Faith will be here, and we're going to all, in a net, we're going to all be on the stage with microphones. You're going to have an opportunity to text in any questions that you have for us, not that we will answer them. That will be to our discretion and Russ's discretion. He's going to help us out with that. But we want to answer real questions that you have for us because we are a family that is brutal in nature. We're a family who have had to navigate some difficult waters, and yet we come out saying, look how amazing God is. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, even when the wheels fall off. And so we'll be sharing our story next week. I hope you'll come and bring somebody. If you know somebody who's struggling as a family, somebody's going through a difficult time, and they don't need to come to a perfect church, but to a church where people are being perfected over time as God's working, this is the place to come. And you can even read the sign for them on the wall. What does it say? Let's try that again together. Ready? No perfect people allowed. That would be the moniker of our church. Invite them to come because we may have some real answers and real hope for people who aren't perfect. Nearly half, we're talking about blended families, 44% of young people ages 18 to 29 have a step-sibling. I have three. About half as many, 23% of those are ages 50 to 64. And just 16% of those that are 65 or older have a step-sibling. The family landscape is changing. Can I get an amen? Listen, and I, I'm not even saying an oh my or a woe is us or this world's going to hell in a handbasket. How about there's hope for everybody in Jesus Christ? How about we see the positive and the life in this? Amen? Not the negative. And let's step into the arena and not be afraid.
some 3 million. This is 37% of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender adults have had a child at some point in their lives. According to the Williams Institute, among women under the age of 50 who identify as LGBT and or Q and live alone or with a spouse or partner, about half, 48%, have a child younger than 18. Some, some one in five LGBT men say the same. The family landscape is changing and we need to wake up, open our eyes, and not run and hide. We all know what happens to the rear end of an ostrich when it sticks its head in the sand, right? We don't want to be that. We want to live aware with our eyes wide open and fully willing to step into the arena, not to battle anybody, but to battle the enemy who is destroying families and what God desires for all of us. Remember, we're better together. Why don't you say that with me right now? We're better together. Let's try that one more time. Ready? We're better together. More babies are born to unmarried mothers than ever before. Unmarried women accounted for 41% of births in 2011, up from just 5% in 1960. The family landscape is changing. Intermarriage among people of different races is increasingly common. In 1980, just 7% of all marriages in the U.S. were between spouses of a different race or ethnicity. In 2010, that share has doubled to 15%, praise God, of all new marriages in the U.S. The landscape is changing. And you know what that means for us? Number one, it's complicated. Amen? It's complicated. But we don't engage in fear. We engage with hope and joy and enthusiasm. And here's the second thing, which is most important. Love wins the day. Love, what do we do with this? What do we do with this information? What do we do with what seems so overwhelming? Oh my gosh, the sky is falling. The sky is falling, Chicken Little said. I say, no, heaven is coming down to meet earth. Amen? Come on, we have hope in this thing. And we look people straight in the eyes, no matter what their background, no matter what their ethnicity, no matter who or where they are from or what they believe, and we say, we choose to love you. How can I not love you when Jesus has so loved me? How can I not extend grace to you when Jesus has extended so much grace to me? How dare I withhold the very thing he's given to me? We're better together. Noah was looked at as a psychopath. You need to understand something. We see Noah as a hero, but that's because we know the rest of the story. You have to understand the people living in the village where Noah lived, they lived in the desert, not on the coast. Let me just clarify that in case you're wondering. When God told Noah to build a huge boat to house all the animals in the world, at least the pairs, the family sets of those he started building it in the middle of a desert. And he, he and his family, he brought his sons in it, and they got involved in the building of this big boat in the middle of the desert. Can you imagine the village? Can you imagine the ridicule those, those young men went through? Oh, your dad's the nutcase building a boat in the desert. Did I mention they were not on the coast? If he had been building that on the edge of the water, people would have thought, well, that's a little bit big, but wow, go big or go home, Noah. No, he's in the middle of a desert, which means he's either nuts or he's heard from God. Let me tell you something. When you hear something, this is free for today. When you hear from God, 
really hear it and you get a God idea and you share it with people, you're either going to look like a nutcase or you're going to look like you heard from God. It's rare that it's just this, oh, that makes perfect sense. Oh, you should go do that. No, it's going to be so much bigger than you that it's got to be God or you're, you've lost it. Noah's family was that family where all the families in the village said, don't go, don't over, don't go over there. Don't play with those kids. See that big boat that's being built out there? Don't go over there. Mamas and daddies were probably telling their children, whatever you do, don't go over to Noah's house. He's crazy. He's lost it. So when it starts to rain... They're still kind of cool. Hey, we're getting a rain out in the desert. Wow, this is amazing. The desert's going to bloom. When it didn't stop raining, they all beat a path to Noah's boat for rescue. And you know what happened? What the Bible says happened? The door was drawn shut. And the Lord himself sealed the door. Story goes, 40 days, 40 nights, torrential rain. It actually lifts up. It actually floats. Noah's boat floated, so I think God might have been involved in this. He wasn't the nutcase they thought he was. And he and his family were preserved. God didn't preserve an individual. He preserved a family. And in the midst of that, or at least in the wake of that, when the water began to recede and that boat settled on a mountaintop, we now arrive at this point in the story. And look what happens verse 15 of Genesis 8. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. He tells them to come out together. Remember the title of our message today? We're better together. Verse 17, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. In other words, I've preserved families to repopulate the earth with more families. Verse 18, so Noah came out together. We're better together. They came out together with their sons and his wife and his son's wives. Annette and I have always believed that God called us into ministry together. We don't do our own thing and then meet up at the end of the day and go, how was your day? I don't know. How was your day? No, we're together. God called us together to do something because we are better together. Remember when I said I'm dangerous if I'm left alone? I'm just saying I'm dangerous when I'm left alone. I need her with me. We, um, a number of years ago, we were called to a church out in Southern California. We were super excited. We showed up, and our first Wednesday night with the students, we came in on a rough situation. The student pastor before us had been killed in a terrible car wreck going up the Cajon Pass there in Southern California. It was a horrible, horrible thing, and they were devastated, and he was amazing, and then after he was taken up and died, he was even not sainthood, not amazing. And so we had to follow that. So we showed up to a group of very damaged, hurt, and grieving students as well as leaders. And we knew we needed to be together on this thing. So Annette and I linked arms and we stepped into that first Wednesday night meeting. But what we didn't realize, we were, we were violating an unspoken code. And that code was that the pastor's wives all meet in another meeting on Wednesday night, including the youth pastor's wife. So they did not want Annette to be in there with me and the students. They wanted her to be in there with them. 
And then we, we knew trouble was brewing because we knew God had called us together. We told him that when we interviewed, it was like understood. And then when we got there, it was like, no, we want her over here, you over here. Let me tell you something, we're better together. So we had to navigate those tricky waters brand new on the scene. Let me tell you something. The girls from Southern California, I'm telling you, I needed my wife in there with me. And I'm not joking. It's a different culture. Different clothing standards. I mean, it's a different culture. And I needed my wife with me to minister to the girls because I was going to minister to the guys. And I was not, we were not going to mess with that for our own safety, our own protection, and our own appropriateness. You have to understand, I came out of the case management world. I'd ran a foster care agency. I'm hypersensitive to those issues. So we had to tell my senior pastor and all the elders that Annette will be coming to the meetings with me. And we had to stand our ground. They gave in. The ladies weren't happy about it kind of held it over us for three years, but, but they said, yeah, we understand. So we did. So we, we stepped into that together. Why? Because we're better together. Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives. We are better together. And trust me when I say this, all of us are better together. We need each other. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth, this is verse 19, came out of the ark one kind after another, all of them together. Verse, I want, I want to say something because this is important and I want to break it down right here and it is this, and I'm totally off my, my slide, so I'm going to move up here. It's complicated. Love wins the day. And we're better together. I know that sounds repetitive. And you're like, well, you already said that. I'm going to keep saying it until we get it. Because you have to understand this thing called family and the world that we live in and the changing landscape, it's complicated, but love wins the day. And we are better together. Can I get an amen? Then Noah built, this is verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings uh, on it. Now, the first response of Noah coming out was to worship. It was to honor God in it. Verse 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of men, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I've done. God makes a promise, a commitment that because of their faithfulness and they were able to ride out the storm together, he says, I'm never going to damage the earth again. As long as the earth endures, God sets up rhythms. Listen to this. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Look at the rhythms there that God established. little caveat here. Notice that seed time is the same word. It's put together. But if you separate those two, it really makes a lot more sense to me. Because some of you are here and you're thinking, well, when's my family going to pull it all together? When are my prayers going to be answered? When am I going to be blessed? When am I going to see God move? Let me just say something. If you separate seed time, you get seed and then what? Time and then what? 
that time piece, that's the part that's, that's not always easily understood. But why so long? Why not now? And you know what? Nobody knows the answer to that question because that's all in God's hands. Times are in his hands, not ours. But I do know this. He set up the rhythm that if there is seed put into the ground, and I believe that's both in the natural and the spiritual, and I also believe it's in the life in which we live, that if seed is put into the ground, there is a time that passes. And whatever that is, I don't know, but here's what I do believe. I trust God that there will be a harvest to be reaped because he's good. And so seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So here it is, making it real. We covered these same points, but I want to go back into this. First of all, family is a place where safety is valued. This will be the third week in a row I've said the same thing, but it's so critically important that you ask yourself an honest question. Am I a safe person to my family? Would my family, if they were questioned apart from me, and where there would be an anonymous opportunity where there was no filters and no motive, nothing impure, if they were objectively questioned, would they say about me, he's safe, she's safe. And family should be a place where safety is valued. Now, we obviously say safety in the natural, setting up guards for for internet and all the various pieces and influences and curfews and boundaries and all the things we deal with. But the question is, are you safe as a person? That is a critical question. So what does a safe person look like? Well, it's pretty clear. It looks a lot like Jesus, or at least the very spirit of Jesus. Listen to this, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the spirit is in these nine things. This is what safe looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, patience, patience. Did I say patience? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That word self-control means the ability to govern oneself well. Against such things there is no law. The second thing here is family is a place where faith is valued Faith has to be front and center in our lives. I'll never forget when our youngest, Faith, had an, a fear attack is all I can say. I don't even know how to, what, how to put it in terms. But for whatever reason, she ended up as a little girl being so afraid of her room that she wouldn't even go in her room. She was so scared that she would literally come in our room at night, would not go in hers. We couldn't even get her to go in that end of the house for a number of weeks or months. I don't even remember how long it was. But she, so that, guess where she was sleeping then? Not just in our room, but sometimes in a pallet on the floor. But if it was a really bad night, she would literally sleep on top of mama in bed. I mean, this kid was, she was so racked with fear. We had a life group that met at our house every week, and that child would never be in our life group until she was racked with fear because she would not leave our side, would not even go back in that room. And so on days that she was gone to school and when mom was gone, I would, I would go to the cabinet, and I highly advise this, fathers, I would go find the EVO. Anybody know what EVO is? Extra virgin olive oil, right? I know that because I watch the Food Channel. 
So I would go find the olive oil and I would walk into her room and I'd put a little bit on the tip of my finger and I would go to war on behalf of my child. You know what family teaches us to do? It teaches us how to fight, how to war, how to war in the spirit. Fathers know what I'm talking about when you've had a child that's gone rogue. Nothing will bring a daddy or a mama to their knees quicker than when a child spins out, when a child's in crisis. Because something akin to the Terminator rises up in us, right? I'm talking Terminator 2, the best one of all time, of course. I'm talking Schwarzenegger in his prime when all of a sudden it's like Terminator time because the, the safety and maybe even the life and the future and the trajectory of your own child is at stake. Nothing brings out the warrior quicker. I learned how to pray because of family. Much more effectively, I learned how to fight in war because of family. I would go into her room and I would anoint the doorposts with oil and I would... I didn't know what I was doing, but I would bind up, cast out everything I could think of. You have to understand, my background was Southern Baptist, but I'm telling you, when the war is on, you'll learn how to fight in the trenches. You'll learn how to fight when you're getting shot at, or when your child's getting shot at, and it'll bring things out in you that you didn't even know. And I warred for my child. And one day, it broke. And she went back the very next night in her room. It was never an issue again. Unreal. But that was after weeks and weeks and weeks of warring. Why? Because faith is central in our life and in our homes as a family. I was reminded of that yesterday as we stood in our kitchen. Y'all have kitchen talks, kitchen family meetings that are casual but intentional, CBIs we call those. Casual but intentional. They don't know they're having a meeting, but you're having a meeting. We have those all the time. I have those with y'all all the time. You just don't know it. <laughs> I just gave away a trade secret. So if I'm ever talking to you, you might go, is this one of those CBI things? Are we having a meeting? Maybe. We stand around in our kitchen prepping food and getting ready to cook, and we do that together. It's something we love to do. And Faith, our youngest daughter, she's always in there just hanging out. She'll come in there, and she's showing us her artwork, or she's showing us something she's working on on her computer, or where she's talking, and we're talking about life. We're talking about faith, and here's what comes up in the middle of that. Conversations about God like that go a little bit like this. Do you remember when the wheels fell off? Do you remember how hard that was? Oh, but do you remember how God showed up? Oh, do you remember that time when everything went off the rails and how God came through for us. You know what we're doing? We're telling and we're retelling the stories. Listen to this. Family's a place where faith is valued. Parents will tell their children, this is Psalm 145, parents will tell their children what you, this is about God, what you have done. They will retell, tell and retell your mighty acts, wonderful majesty and glory, and I will think about your miracles. They will tell about the amazing things you do, and I will tell, notice that again, how great you are. What we do with our children, what we do with our family, is we tell and we retell the stories of our adventures in God. Do you remember when God healed that situation? Do you remember when God came through? Do you remember when we didn't know what we were going to do next and God came through? Do you remember how hard that season was? Oh, but look where we are now. Look how good God is. We tell and we retell. Faith has got to be one of the highest values in your home. Let me tell you just something in love. 
your home will, will orbit around something. And whatever is in the center, I'm not talking about the top of your list, I'm talking about whatever is in the center, everything else will revolve around that. And faith has got to be in the center. Your walk with God, your life in God, your history in God. We have a weird family. When all of our family gets together, we talk about theology and apologetics. I know that's strange. It mostly comes from my son, Chris. You'll meet him next week. He, he loves talking theology. He's a Tim Keller freak. He, he comes and he's just loaded for bear. We have these incredible conversations. People who hang around our family, hang around us, think we're weird because we talk about God all the time. It's not a job to us. This is not a job. This is a calling. It's central in my, life, in my family's life. We are a but God kind of family. We've had a rough go of it at various times, but I'm telling you, God is faithful. And the last thing, family is a place where grace is valued. Not, not just this, hey, I'm a grace guy. Check, check me out, I got tats. I'm a grace guy. Check me out. I'm, I'm a grace guy because... No, no, no. Let me tell you, when grace is real, it reorients your life, your entire life. Everything about the fabric of your life changes. Because how can we not extend grace to one another when God has extended so much to us? Family is a place where grace is valued. Listen to this in Colossians 3. Listen to this. Make allowance for each other's faults. Make, we could just stop right there. Just do that this week and all of us will have an upgrade by next week. Amen? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. You ever have anybody in your family offend you? Nervous laughter there. <laughs> Courtesy from some of you. So here's the thing. You ever been on the phone and you're just holding out going, I cannot believe they just said that? I cannot believe my grandmother just said that. I cannot believe my mom just said I cannot believe my... Am I the only human that's ever had that conversation where I'm like, I cannot believe they just said that. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. That looks like putting on a jacket. That means you wrap it around you and you say, you know what? I'm going to put this on because I need it right now. Clothing yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. You ever heard people sing in perfect harmony? Oh my gosh, when siblings sing in perfect harmony, it's even another whole another level. There's something amazing that happens. Remember this about family. It's complicated. Love wins the day. And we are better together. Can I get an amen? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, thank you for the privilege, the privilege of being part of a family, whether it's our own family or this spiritual family, knowing that you use family not only to comfort, but also to convince, to shape, to train us in righteousness, and sometimes to even knock off those rough edges. You give us family and you teach us how to war, not with one another, but the very real enemy, the one enemy of our souls. 
Father, would you give us grace for one another, even this week? This is a time with graduations and school and finals and just a lot going on right here, right now. Weddings this weekend, there's a lot going on. Would you give us grace for one another? And Lord, may we always declare that faith, our faith in Jesus, is the center of our family and the center of our home. I pray for our families here. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. 